0: Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is C.K. Lin. This is where I interview masters about their journey to master the mind and body to have greater performance, joy, and purpose in life and in business. My next guest is the founder and CEO of the Heroic Public Benefit Corporation. He has spent the last 25 years of his life dedicated to synthesize ancient wisdom and modern science to help people become the heroes of their lives. His mission is to create a world where 51% of the planet is flourishing by 2051 with wisdom, discipline, courage, and love. He's also the author of the new book, Arite, Activate Your Heroic Potential. If you like what he has to say, go to heroic.us forward slash book to pre-order the book coming out November 14th. Please enjoy my conversation with Brian Johnson. Brian, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it as always. Our path has crossed. You know, we met each other, I don't know if you remember, back in 2005 in Toastmasters. And then when you spoke, spoke, and then that's when I like, this dude's got something. And you've been on this path for a long time. It's been 25 years. You've been uh synthesizing wisdom over time and i'm curious how do you not get deviated and get distracted by shiny objects and the latest trends uh
1: well i that presupposes that i don't so
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean Uh, based on output you know i'm looking at everything that you've done from the outsider point of view you you i appreciate that i
1: appreciate that so one of the fun things um that I like to come back to is there are no perfect human beings and you and I won't be the first not that you were implying that but in my productivity still um, I- I'm proud of my diligence and consistency but we're all always distracted at times you know but that's been a real deep focus of mine Um, and I think the direct answer to the question is I have a really really strong yes so Stephen Covey David Brooks say it's easy to say no to certain things some of which is just nonsense, shiny stuff, and some of which is interesting, potentially valuable stuff. But for me, I've just really worked hard to get clarity on um, who I am, what I think I'm here to do, and then just bringing an intensity to it um, as consistently as I can. But I've certainly had, you know, zigs and zags of of less or more focus, Um, but right now I'm pretty all in. So I'm wearing a tattoo that points me in the direction I wanna go, actually two of them, um, all day, every day. And I think that's been helpful for me to have a really, really, really strong yes, um, making a lot of the smaller no's pretty easy.
0: Mm. Well, let me, let me ask you a quick question, because part of your, let me bring in um, your soul force formula. I really like that, by the way, soul force formula. Hey, actually, for those of you that don't know, can you just real quick talk about the soul force formula?
1: Yeah. So, well, soul force itself is a phrase I got from Gandhi. So, Gandhi's nonviolent resistance movement, he actually called it Satya Graha. Um, and it's two Sanskrit words. He coined the word Satya Graha means truth force or virtue force or love force or soul force. And it's the power within himself that he cultivated. Uh, Martin Luther King references it in his I have a dream speech, he talks about soul force. Um, So I've really leaned into that. And my thing is, look, we all of our heroes have the same superpower, which is soul force. There's something powerful about a human being who's living in integrity with their ideals. You know, Confucius is on my wall. Ancient Chinese philosophy is effortless virtuous action, as you know, and you know, the way they describe soul force is moral charisma. So there's something in someone who's a noble warrior striving to live their best life that you can feel at a neurological level, you can feel it. Um, So anyway, the whole point of all of my work is to help people activate their superpower, which we call soul force. Now, there's an equation for it, and I kind of like to think of it as like a heroic power of now. So you've got Eckhart Tolle telling you, all right, power of now, it's all about this moment, which of course is true. But what do you do with that? You know, like, how do you really operationalize that? And again, he's got a lot of great ideas. But what I've tried to do is boil it down into an equation. So um, what we talk about is energy times focus times what's important now or when. Parentheses around that. So energy times focus times what's important now to the power of consistency. So the basic math goes something like this. If you can get your energy from say 0 to 100 and your focus 0 to 100 your what's important now truly what what is important were 0 to 100 100 energy where you're doing the little things eating moving sleeping breathing you're fully energized at 100 and then you get your mind focused you're not distracted at 100 and then you truly do the most important thing you know not a kind of sort of oh maybe but it, this is the most important thing right now And again, that can be spending time with my kids. It could be with you right now, but energy focus on what's important. Now, 100 times 100 times 100 is a million. Now, a million to the power of zero to 100, depending on how consistent you are. So if you're the type of person that can do that once in a while or when you feel like it um, or very rarely, then you're not going to have as much power as someone who can do it all the time. So I remember when I was working on this equation, I'm like, what's a million to the power of a hundred, right? And I remember literally going to go into Google calculator and I did the math, but first a hundred times, a hundred times, a hundred is a million. But if your consistency sucks and you raise it to the power of zero, your power is one, you lose it all. Right. But if you can get, your energy focused on what's important now consistently at 100, a million raised to the power of 100, the answer in Google Calculator is infinity. Your power is infinite. So for me, that's the equation through which we can tap into our latent potential. Um, And it's kind of the point of my whole body of work. You know, arete is how we arrive at that moment to moment to moment to moment. Um but that's now a long answer to your short question. So no, forth, this equation. is super
0: great. No, this is super great. so I have a I have a gentle pushback. all right. so I love that equation. by the way, I'm an engineer by trade, so anything with equation frameworks, everything let's
1: go. I, ha- I had to find the exponential in the uh, scientific calculator. Where is that thing? All right, let's go. Yeah, Give me
0: a- I-, I love it. so so here's the gentle pushback. It's as you said there are certain things that's really obvious the addictions the you know the junk food that's like okay that's bad for me. don't do it right but in our modern life we you know as we mentioned earlier time with spouse take care of your business time about your dharmic path maybe your spirituality these are all important things so how do you in the moment discern for yourself what is the most important for that
1: Yeah, it's a great pushback hard, by the way. I look like it looks like we're in a dojo right now. So I'm all about pancreation, full strength, you know, grappling with these ideas and finding the truth. Um, So. uh, I think we always know. So I have a different a number of different practices, but I think that the, the real challenge is slowing down long enough to ask yourself the question. So in any given moment, the question is, all right, what's important right now? And again, of course, to your point, there will always be multiple pathways and multiple things we can choose. But at some point, we just need to decide this is the most important thing right now. And being decisive is a really important part of the equation and asking yourself that question consistently and then having a deep yes. So I I like to teach something called targeted thinking. So one way to answer the question when you're in doubt is what do you want? So in any given moment, step back and ask yourself the question, what do I want? All right, perfect. So I want to have a great connection with you right now, right? When I'm with my kids, I want to be with my kids. When I'm with my wife, I don't want to be in an argument with my wife. I want to be in a a joyful, deep connection with her. So when I find myself a little bit wobbly and I'm not quite clear on it or I'm not showing up as my best, I step back mindfully and say, all right, well, what do I want? And then the next question is very simple. What do I need to do to get that? And then you just need to decide but i think the wisdom is always there the problem is we're not slowing down long enough and we haven't disciplined ourselves to actually ask the question and step in between a stimulus and a response and it's in that gap that victor Frankl says you know our freedom exists so i think it's like anything you just got to practice it use it as a muscle but then then you decide and you get your energy focused on what's important now and when you do that you tend to feel really alive, present, and you know you're expressing, or at least trying to express the best version of yourself.
0: I appreciate the answer. So I'm asking that question for myself as well. So that's, that's, that's me, really, really the selfish question.
1: So, so what's an example where you feel- Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna,
0: I'm gonna give you an example because you read thousands of books, right? And then for me, I love knowledge. So I can be reading this book, this book, this book, or I can synthesize the, the knowledge of this other thing that I'm thinking about, right? Give me a lot of different idea, how do I synthesize them together? So my attention is constantly being pulled, like, oh, I should finish that book, this chapter, or oh, this is a really interesting thing, or oh, maybe I should re-listen to my conversation with Brian. So in the moment I get, there's a, I mean, I have my own mental model around this, so I'm curious to know, how do you not get pulled? In all different directions. I decide. Given that you're a very curious person, you know.
1: I decide. I mean, it, to me, it's that simple. And, and my coach Phil Stutz, who's on my wall back there, he's in the Netflix documentary Stutz, et cetera. He mm-hmm. says you need to be well. First of all, the word decision, as you know, comes from the Latin "decere" to cut off. People don't like to make decisions. So one of the reasons why I, you, all of us struggle with choosing one thing or the other is you have to cut off other options. So Phil Stutz says you got to die at the crossroads. You come to a choice point and you can't do it all. And you got to decide I'm going to do this and not that. He calls that death at the crossroads, but it's painful. And people Mm. don't want to experience the pain of making a decision so they don't decide. And then they allow themselves to be overwhelmed by by endless choices. Then you get into the science of the paradox of choice. And it's overwhelming to have so many options. But what I personally do is I get clear on what I want in general in my life today with my business goals, you know, over the next quarter, 15 months or whatever. Um and then I make a decision. You know, and if I drop F bombs, I drop a bomb, you know? Like I just decide. At some point you need to decide. Then I create blocks of time in which I go deep. So it's energy focused on what's important now and I'll go deep for 60 minutes, 90 minutes for a week, for 10 days, I went a year without using my phone. Mm. And Calport actually profiled me in his latest book or one of his latest books, A World Without Email, ran a significant business without using email. And I didn't use my phone literally for a year. So that was because it was the decision I made in light of my my choices and my targets and stuff. But playfully, at the end of the day, we just need to decide, knowing we can't do it all, embracing the constraints of our reality, but then going all in on whatever we decided. And then proving ourselves right. Um, but I'm the same. You know, with a book, I got, I have a stack of books. But mm-hmm. I just Sunday, a couple days ago, my son's at a chess tournament. And I'm going to read Arnold Schwarzenegger's new book. And I read it cover to cover. And I'm not sitting there wondering, well, shoot, should I be reading this other book? Because I've got literally a thousand more in my library <laughs> that I could read. No, I'm reading this one right now. And then it's fun because of my energy is focused on what I decided is most important now. And then I'm in flow and I'm not distracted. I'm not second guessing myself. And I'm feeling that um, joy of being fully alive in the moment without ambivalence and diffusion of my energy, but a real strong focal point.
0: Mm, I love that. I also love that you always give credit to your teachers. You know, Phil Stutz is one of the, the person that you keep giving credit to. By the way, how did that happen? Uh, and also inside of that, how do you pick your teachers? Because you have teachers like Socrates or Aristotle, like you know, thousands, hundreds of teachers. How do you choose your teachers?
1: Uh, I, first, I appreciate you reflecting that back. It's really important to me that I honor the people that have supported me. And in the you know the book, I've got, I think, 300 people I reference, you know, and, and it's very important to me to name the people that gave you the ideas, you know, so I appreciate you reflecting that back. Um, you know, Phil, I met. Well, I was introduced to Phil when I somehow found The Tools, a book he wrote maybe 12 years ago. I read it and I'm like, wow, the best book I'd read that year, tied for first best book ever from my vantage point. And then I bought a book for everyone on our team. And then I actually sent a book to several of my friends, including a guy named Trip Lanier, who interviews guys and does different things. And he interviewed Phil and Barry, who, uh, Barry um, Michael's with whom Phil wrote the book. And so then I got into interviewing people as well, you know, a year or whatever, two years later. And I'm like, hey, dude, can you introduce me to Phil and Barry? Because I want to interview him. So anyway, he introduced me to him. I interview him. And then in terms of who I choose as my teachers, I had worked with a guy named Steve Chandler for years, who's amazing. And I was ready for, um, I ended my relationship with him. And I was working with, uh, looking to work with a new coach. And, you know, the choice point for me was, who do I work with? Is it Barry? or Phil. And the joke was it's like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda. Like in that situation you have to go with Yoda. So this was 8 years ago, started working with Phil. I've done 400 one-on-one sessions with Phil. I love him. Had my session with him right before we got together today. And um he's deeply influenced me in my thinking. Um yeah, I'll pause there.
0: So I watched the Netflix documentary. I could see why, you know, Phil is such a beloved um, coach slash therapist. What are some of the mental models that you use? Is it competency? Is it, you know, personal resonance? Like when you say Yoda versus Obi-Wan, like what are some of the things that you think about?
1: Well, in terms of that particular choice, more just a joke. So Phil Stutz um, is, uh, Barry Michaels is kind of his student and they've now collaborated on a lot of stuff. But, you know, Phil's kind of a, the Yoda in that relationship who who came up with the tools and that idea. Um, but I, I again, I, I respected him a lot after reading his book. I felt connected to him in the interview. And then our first coaching session, I actually have you know, I've taken notes in every one of our sessions, and I don't keep a lot of things, books and family stuff is all I have, and a stack of my notes with him. It's literally like, you know, over a foot tall at this point. But the very first page of notes um, from my very first session with him, you and I could talk about it for a month. I mean, the density of wisdom I got in that one session was just insane. Um, but I think my main mental model is is trusting myself. You know, mm. my I named my son Emerson after Ralph Waldo Emerson, Mm. and he's on my wall up there. And every single morning I meditate and reflect on my heroes and they give me wisdom. Every day he tells me, trust thyself. Mm. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. And that's my number one mental model is it's an intuitive um, just sense of what's right and again, I, I deliberately trained that ability to have clarity and to know what I want and then to trust kind of what feels right. So I'd offer that as, um, and that, that navigated my process with Phil, frankly, all the big decisions I make. My wife is another uh, adjunct mental model uh, support system for me as well. When the two of us are aligned, I'm feeling pretty good.
0: Mm, I love that. Mm. That's actually a really interesting point they mentioned trust trust thyself, and then part of your book, the message that you gave is you're the hero you've been waiting for now, I agree with you. Um, however, when I was younger, I didn't really like who I see in the mirror and but over the years, I've been falling in love with myself over and over again now because I respect and admire who I become over time, right so and this is not from a place of ego, but just genuine, authentic, like love and appreciation. So for someone who is on that journey of finding, you know, having more faith, more trust, more confidence in who they are, what would you say to them?
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, in terms of the book, I'd go to the book objective one in the book is you got to know the ultimate game. So we've been seduced to play the wrong game. We can talk about that, but then objective two is. You need to forge anti-fragile confidence. And then I talk a lot about confidence, the science of confidence, the etymology of confidence, et cetera. Um, But etymologically, as you know, the the word confidence means intense trust. So Mm. confundere, intense trust. That's what it means to have confidence. And so if you want to have confidence in yourself, you need to trust yourself. And then the way I frame it up is, look, if you want to have trust in any relationship, what do you need to see from the other person? They need to do what they say they will do. Mm. So, you know, if you and I schedule this time to be together and I don't show up, you may give me a pass the first time. But the second time you're like, who is this guy? I don't trust him. I don't have confidence he's going to do what he says he's going to do. So I say, look, it's the same with you. And you're the most important relationship, your relationship with yourself. And if you say you're going to do certain things, you say you're going to meditate in the morning or turn off your electronics at night or be with your family in a certain way or train your body or eat a certain way and you don't. Why should you trust yourself? You shouldn't. You shouldn't have a deep, grounded sense of confidence. Now, stated positively, when you do do those things more and more consistently, never perfectly, you earn your trust in your relationship with yourself the same way you'd earn it in any relationship. And that's exciting because when we get that, then we can cultivate a true grounded trust and become anti-fragile where It's the opposite of fragility. So when you're fragile, you break when life pushes you. When you're resilient, you can endure more stress. Then you break and then you bounce back faster, basically. When you're anti-fragile, when life hits you, not only do you not break, you get stronger. And the only way to do that is to practice your philosophy, to know who you are at your best and to do it, especially when you don't feel like it. And then, and again, we talk about this a lot in my work. And it's the thing I'm most excited about in in what I do is helping people cultivate that deep level of grounded humble trust that you're talking about. Um and then you feel a level of, inv- of invincibility where you know you're going to get knocked around, you know life will challenge you, but you also know you have what it takes to respond to whatever life throws at you. Um and again a long answer to your short question, but th- those are some of my thoughts on confidence and um I can feel it in you. You know there's a grounded um you know you're not trying to true confidence isn't loud, you know there's a level of humility. you know how hard you've worked, you know how hard you still need to work, and you've got it, you know, and, and people feel that I mean that goes back to the the soul force, the moral charisma you can feel in someone's presence. the moment you came on screen, I'm like, damn, look at c k he's practicing his philosophy. people can feel that um yeah. it's a really, really powerful aspect of leadership um of ourselves and um you know if we're going to make a difference and be the hero of our own story to come back to where you started um we've got to earn that trust we got to build the strength um and you do that one moment at a time
0: yeah man i mean likewise goes back to you From the moment i met you to today you there's 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 that energetic transmission right there's a solidity in your presence you know the spiritual people call it spiritual spine right that you 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 know there's power potency words you've done the work you've done the thinking you've done um the process and then you can speak with confidence hmm. yeah thank you for i
1: i appreciate that do we go way back i can't believe it was 20 years toastmasters that was fun oh my goodness and i have ck to thank by the way to publicly thank for introducing me to my wife connecting <laughs> us so thank you bless you dude uh, <laughs> life is good and it wouldn't be as good as it is without you and your influence um so i deeply appreciate you uh, making that connect versus working through you and uh, yeah. grateful.
0: I, I appreciate a shout out. Also, Mike Flynn, Karen Solomon, yep. public acknowledgement as well. I actually remember exactly the moment before I made that call. Wow. Uh, and, uh, uh, Alexandra was, uh, was like, you know, uh, but without getting too personal, like.
1: <laughs> Let's go. She shared the story publicly. Share it. If you're open to it.
0: That's so cool, man. So, uh, she shared that she had a crush on you. She uh, really wanted to meet you. And then we said, hey, we actually know Brian from Toastmasters. And she was like, I don't know, so I'm a little nervous. And then basically we nudged her quite a bit. And so mm-hmm. we made that call and you know, the rest is history. You know-
1: oh, dude, bless you. I'm so happy that we connected and that you pushed her in that moment. It's a sacred moment and I appreciate you sharing
0: it. And uh, she and I will have fun with it after. Yeah, amazing. So, um, okay, well, what about affirmation, self-love, self-worth, or that's really just the the natural consequence of doing the work, honoring yourself, honoring your integrity?
1: Yeah, I think the answer to almost any question that implies a dichotomy is yes and, you know? Um, But I think at the end of the day, you know, affirmations and, and healthy thoughts are clearly essential. No question about that. A strong self-image is really, really important. Um, but it's it's your behaviors. At the end of the day, you can only affirm so many things until your brain's like, that's nonsense. You know, that, that just isn't true. So, you know, we want to match the, uh, the vision board, if you will, with a lot of action and consistent action. But in, in the heroic app that we have, um, we help you get clarity on it in the book, of course, we help you get clarity on your identities. And identity literally means repeated beingness. I got that from James Clear. Mm. It's a phenomenal book, Atomic Habits. But your identity is your repeated beingness. It's who you are repeatedly and who you affirm and commit to being. And then you act like that and you you recraft your identity. So you went from and I went from, I'll say, with unequivocal certainty, a very insecure I mean, I wanted to end my own. I wanted to end my life not too long before you and I met one another. I mean, Mm. years before, you know, my early 20s, I struggled. I dropped out of law school. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, And I had none of this wisdom, none of it. First generation college student, blue collar family, all that stuff. Um, And I worked very hard to craft a new self-image and identity. But I think the affirmations need to be followed up with action and vice versa, then you create a really virtuous cycle and what you're saying is true. And then in moments where you may doubt yourself, you go back to your moments when you were on and um, affirm those things. Um, And then, you know, self-love and self-care and self-compassion I talk a lot about in my work is is essential. You know, you, you can't have, I don't think shame should be 0%. I frankly, I think it should be a little seasoning but it can't be the main dish. You got to once in a while, as Seneca, the great Stoic says, be harsh with yourselves, be with yourself. But but you need to do that after you're, um, you know, giving yourself a lot of compassion and realizing you're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. And then you figure out, all right, well, what do I need to change in order to cultivate more um, trust in myself, et cetera? Um, but yeah, I, I think it's yes to all of it. And um. You know, ultimately the more, the merrier and the more consistently practice, the better. And, uh, and then it's, you're not telling yourself something you are that thing, and then Mm -hmm. you're reminding yourself when you forget, but there's an important difference between the two in my experience. Um, but great question and, um, a fun topic.
0: Yeah. So you, in your book, by the way, tremendous book, love it. Um, you had talked about learning to install and delete habits at will. And the same token, uh, you didn't say this in your public interviews yet. I don't know, but I'm, i I want to ask you this question. Do you, do you think what you just said now is also the training that you do to install and delete beliefs about yourself as well?
1: Give me a little bit more, clear or give me a little bit more, um, nuance on the question.
0: Sure, 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 sure. Let me actually, I, I you know, my interview styles, I give you a lot of context and people are like, why are you going sure? to just ask me? <laughs> so, yeah. so. When I was younger, I believe I wasn't worth it, right? I had to uh, use my achievements to prove my self-worth right, to everyone else. But over time, the work that you just mentioned, I start to honor myself, do the things I say I will do by the time that I say I will do it. And then that's a way for me to change the way I view myself. So in terms of deleting or installing new ideas about who I am as a human, you implied it, but I wanted to see if yep. you have any tactical suggestions on, oh, okay, here's, you have, you have a disempowering believer by yourself. Yeah, this yeah, is how yeah, you cool. transmute it to an empowering belief, blah, blah, blah. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, cool. So then I'll give context to what you what you said about the installing and deleting habits. Then we'll apply it to our thoughts and, and beliefs about ourselves. Um, so the way I sum it up is I basically integrate BJ Fogg, you know, James Clear, Charles Duhigg, all their great books. And if you want to install a habit, you need to do three things. First, you need to make the cue, the trigger, the prompt, the thing that that triggers you to do the behavior obvious. So the, the mundane example is if you want to work out in the morning, you know, trip over your workout clothes and your gym shoes or whatever. You want to meditate, put your meditation cushion literally so you're tripping over it when you get out of bed. Oh, shoot. There's the cue, the trigger, the prompt to remember, I want to meditate. You make it obvious that you need to do the habit. You want to brush your teeth or floss your teeth, put the floss out on your sink counter. So when you come in at night, you you see it. Boom. Then you want to make it easy to win. So you want to simplify it. Tiny habits, atomic habits. You don't want to meditate for an hour a day is the standard to win. It's a breath a day or a minute. Make it easy to win. Then the third thing is you celebrate after you do it. That's the one, two, three. Obvious, easy, celebrate for installing. You do the opposite if you want to delete a habit. You got a drinking problem? Dump out all of your alcohol. Get rid of the cue, the trigger, the prompt that makes you want to drink. Same with sugary foods. It's why every nutrition book tells you, clear your pantry and don't buy the stuff because when it's sitting there staring at you, it's begging you to do it. Make the cue invisible. Then you make it hard, which is related. You want to drink? Perfect. Go drive to the liquor store, add a few steps to the process. And then if when you inevitably fall short of your standards in deleting the bad habit, do something I call needs work it, which is from Lanny Basham, a world-class Olympic medal rifle shooter. He said, don't ruminate the missed shot. Go right back to the moment where you made a mistake and imagine doing it right. Mm. There's always a moment right before we do something vicious Whether it's me yelling at my kids or you doing whatever you do, you know, when you're not at your best, you want to go right to the moment before and realize you could have done something better and then replay that and commit to getting better. Mm. Um, Anyway, that's installing and deleting behaviors to apply that to beliefs. It's the same basic idea. Um, So even like like my clarity on my my vision for, for life. You know, I I got a tattoo reminding myself of my ultimate target and who I'm committed to being. That's handy, you know, and then I got a reminder on this forearm of how I want to show up and live. So I've literally created visual reminders, cues, triggers, prompts to remind myself of who I'm committed to being. I'm committed to living a heroic life and living with virtue or arte. Um, Those are cue trigger prompts and even subtle things like passwords, so whenever I or email addresses, whenever I'm stepping into a new identity, I literally create new passwords. I create new, um, uh, you know, email addresses at times, you know, the passcode to get into our property. We've got a gate, you know, it's like, boom, it means something to me. Um, I try to make my entire life aligned around that mm. identity, those behaviors, et cetera. Um, and those are some ideas in terms of, of what may help. And then you got to notice when you're off. So training your mind through meditation and through other practices is huge. Because the first hardest step is to notice when you've slipped, then you bring it back and use all these different tools and whatever else works for you um, to just groove the pattern and not let the old patterns take over for any longer than is possible. Um, And again, you get good at that by practicing it. But those are some of the ways that I've um, loosely applied the behavioral changes to belief changes.
0: I love it, man. You know it just occurred to me that you're someone who is a self deck deck. This is my interpretation of you. Um, do you have you know counsel allies who support you in your own transformation into being the person that you always the hero that you always want to be in life? Do you have those?
1: I'm hanging out with one right now, dude. Let's go. I mean, this is how we get stronger though. You know, it's, it's people whose values are aligned with ours, having powerful conversations about important things. Um, and I mean that in this style, I've already learned a lot about the ideas I share about myself, about you, and, and it's exciting for me. So here I am, obviously, you know, excited about my perspective. Um, and, and, Willing to communicate it strongly, but I loved it when you're like, ah, right, I got a little pushback. I'm like, all right, cool, let's go. What am I going to get from from our interaction? Um, and then, more generally speaking, well, specifically, but but at a more intimate level, Phil, my coach, I mentioned, Alexandra, my wife, unquestionably. I mean, she's my second, not even brain, but intuition. So she's mm. a very intuitive person. Even the way that she met you and me is surreal. I mean. She found my website when I was running it 20 years ago, 18 years ago, way before I'm doing what I'm doing now, obviously. For whatever reason, she decided to go look and see who the CEO was. She learned about me. She saw the books I liked. And she said to herself, I'm going to marry this guy. Gets the tears in my eyes. This is what she said immediately when she saw me. Wow. And then she moves out to LA to work with you guys and do the conference at UCLA. She moved a half a mile from my house is where she wound up being. Then she's at this event and she audaciously says, yeah, yeah, we got to get this company to sponsor us because I want to marry the CEO. I don't know if she said it quite that way, but because I, I want to meet the CEO or whatever she said, but in her mind, she was thinking, cause I want to marry this guy. And then she connects and here we are 17 years later. Tears in my eyes. I trust my wife's <laughs> intuition. She's got a very powerful intuition, you know? Um, she's also got a very strong rational mind and all the other things, but she's a big advocate and, um, counselor for me my right hand mm-hmm. guy our head coach with heroic michael is another guy i trust implicitly um in our team you know each brings different perspectives i've got some dear friends that i really trust and respect Um, and each kind of offers a different perspective and i think it's that beautiful dance you know of a healthy um perspective in general let alone a masculine perspective to hold our belief strongly but loosely you know strong opinions loosely held mm-hmm. It's what one of the the women who uh, was an executive at a company we worked with to build our app said. I just love that the the engineering lead, in fact, at our at our product development company, strong opinions loosely held. So I found that I get better, you know, in synergy with smart, wise, driven people like you and and those I mentioned. Um, and then it just becomes fun. It's a lot more fun to do this work um, together. And I should say, all of our coaches in our community. I connect with them every day at 101 mm. with exceptions. But you know, we're I'm blessed to be in the role of coaching them, but I'm learning so much with them and um the questions we explore and all the different things that go with that.
0: Do you structure is it more like intuitive, like, hey, I'm thinking about CK, let me just call him, or is it more structure? Like, hey, if we have a weekly mastermind or you know, quarterly retreats, or you know, that kind yeah. of structure around these type of you know, gatherings depends, and exchange?
1: It's a- yeah, it depends. So two of my best friends are um former major league baseball players, a guy named Sean Casey, who's uh, just was the New York Yankees hitting coach, great human being, and another guy who's the mental toughness coach for the angels, who happen to be big investors in heroic, heroic coaches, and just two of my best friends. Every single morning, I send them my aura score. They send me their aura score. And we're going back and forth and we're texting each other every you say
0: day war score what's that
1: uh the aura score so the yeah 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 exactly i don't wear mine during the day most days because a whole another chat on their activity score we argue about that but you know I'll, I'll share my sleep and readiness scores from aura with them every morning as a means of accountability um we have a social platform we just launched a private beta for I'm there connecting every single day and being accountable again with our community. Uh, I'm not a big fan of meetings. You know, I'm much more dynamic. And of course, you know, scheduled things like this will be there. Um, I have my weekly sessions with Phil, uh, but otherwise I'm I'm really dynamic. So it's what's alive for me. Um, And then it's right now, boom, bat signal to whether it's my right-hand guy or a financier advisor, Um, and when I have questions, I'll ask like five to 10 of the smartest people I know in that domain and just get reps in. So in like 12, 24, 36 hours, 48 hours, I'll like, they'll make me so much smarter, you know, and I'll come in with an idea and then through conversations, it will be shaped. And then at the end of it, I'm like done. Um, and I'm really, really blessed to have really smart people, um, you know, we have 3,000 investors in our public benefit corporation, 150 of whom are accredited. And so I've got this really beautiful group of, of now friends who are um, great advisors in, in a number of different areas. So that's another um, practice of mine, um, but by and large, super spontaneous. And then I like to get clarity and I, I, wanna, I wanna either kill an idea or prove that it's a good one worth pursuing
0: quickly. Mm-hmm.
1: I move through those cycles, how do, you and, and do um,
0: how, how do you do that? How do you kill an idea quickly? Cause you know, yeah. our ideas are our darlings and you're like, and the, the the ego is like, yeah, I can have them all. Right. That's the mantra. Like have them all. Well, in reality, as you mentioned time and again, it's important to make a decision and go right. So how yeah. do you kill an and a darling? Yeah,
1: Dude, it's a great question. Um. You know, the ad hoc kind of analysis of it is a lot of the things I've described, I'm willing to be decisive. I'm not attached. It's not that I'm not attached. It's that I'm willing to detach from ideas. And I genuinely I want to fulfill our mission. So I'm very mission driven. I feel a fiduciary obligation and a moral obligation to our investors and our community to do the right thing. Um, And then I want to know if it's not the right thing as fast as I can. So then it's a it's a maybe a three step process for me one i meditate deeply every day and Mm. i find that's when my intuition is strongest then i can kill or, or more importantly good ideas just become clear it's hard to describe but i see things with clarity um good night of sleep wake up feeling refreshed meditate for 10 to 30 to 60 minutes and in that process things just become clear and i do that every day and then when i have Questions about whether or not something should be pursued or not, I'll often do what I just described, which is I'll reach out to different advisors and I'll literally ask them, what do you like about the idea and what do you think sucks and kill it? Tell me what isn't good about it. And I never used to do that. I always used to be fragile and afraid of of criticism and and all these different things. Now I care so much about what I'm committed to that I just don't care. Like uh, there's a level of detachment from it. Um, because I'm so all in and then it's fun. And I find that to be so much more rewarding, um, uh, and easy and effective. Um, and then it's then, so it's my own intuition, checking it against my own assumptions and then getting counsel when I feel that's necessary. And then I take action. So then you gotta, it still may not be a great idea. Even if you've got some cycles on it with advisors, then you need to put it out there um, Phil Stutz again, has a great idea. He says action drives creativity. You can't figure it all out. You got to just, he, he uses a donut store metaphor. So if I want to donut, so, you know, if I want to eat a donut, right. Or if I want to open a donut store, there's no way to know how many sprinkled donuts I should make, how many powdered donuts, how many, glazed donuts. I just don't know. You got to decide you're going to do it. Then you start with some assumption, you know, of 25 percent, 25 percent, 25 percent, 25 percent. And then you'll see what the market says and then you'll adjust. Action drives creativity. So I try to take action and then get the data and then improve upon it and then either go all in on it or kill it. Um, That's some of the ideas. It sounds cleaner than it is. It's never quite that pristine. Um, which would be the most important thing? I embrace the mess. I don't expect it to be clean. You know, I'm willing to get messy. It's hard work. Um, it often sucks. And
0: perfect, let's go. That's how I'm going to get strong. You know, I. I it sounds like you found your Dao. You know, your your way of living. You know, it's very dynamic. You trust yourself. You trust your advisors. You have a way of managing your time, your energy, your resources you know, you trust, you know, where you allocate your attention. I mean, one thing that I always appreciate about you, honestly, is, yes, you're a philosopher at heart, but you're also fiercely practical. You know, you're an entrepreneur, you're pursuing all these things. I've seen you, the iteration of your work, right, from PDFs to now membership sites, You know, I don't know if you're still pursuing the TV idea yet, but but you're building this media company really to help people actualizing themselves, you know? So I just wanted to give you props for just continuing on the path. You didn't let any of the self-doubt distract you and you just kept going. Well, I appreciate it. And
1: I think that, again, why I love the name of your show, Noble Warrior, to me, that's what I'm talking about. So for me, it's philosopher, CEO. So, you know, the combining of those two apparent opposites, you know, the noble warrior, the philosophical CEO, like these are, um, I think, really powerful things to integrate. And I appreciate you um, reflecting that back and uh, to work in progress, you know, just constantly showing up. Um, It's the discipline on the mundane things, though, that allow me to feel the freedom with my intuition and the dynamicism. I'm insanely structured when it comes to my sleeping, my eating, my movement. Um, I do the basic fundamentals. I just don't think about them, you know, and they're just non-negotiable. And with that structure, I find that I have a lot more freedom to explore with a groundedness. Um, whereas in the in the past, I'd be up and I'd be down and I didn't have the basic fundamentals that um, I think
0: are so important. So on that note, it was a great segue. <clears throat> you are frigging shredded, dude. I mean, am I looking at your veins and the, your bicep? And then I, I, I love that you're so disciplined about your eating, your sleep, your movement, your breathing. Like these are fundamental things. Uh, public admission, I'm struggling with sleep because I love what I do. So then often I would just, you know, not sleep. <laughs> so help me get more disciplined around sleep. But yep. what are some of the other things that you do such that you look so good at whatever age you are?
1: Dude, I'm thinking the same thing with you. So I appreciate that. And um, 49 is the age I am. And uh, I mean, th- there's many things there. So we'll go to sleep. But you know, physique or whatever, why it's nutrition. It's sugar and and um, processed foods of which I eat none. So that's that's
0: the number You're like one hardcore thing. about no sugar.
1: None. Period. Wow, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's just. Um, that's a whole nother chat, insulin and all those things. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll save that. But then sleep, um, number one rule. And again, I've got a class Sleep 101. Check it out. Uh, but rule number one is you got to prioritize it. So to the extent you haven't made it a truly important thing, then it won't be the important thing. Now, for me, I used to be emotionally up and down. So as I said, before you met me, you know, maybe three years before you met me, four five I forget exactly when it was. 17 years ago, was it? So early 20s, you know, X years before we met, I had none of this. And I was very up and I was very down. The number one thing that I realized was sleep. I'm a different person, when I don't get enough sleep. Now, it took me, you know, 25 years to get to where I am now. But sleep is a sport for me. And I know how good I feel with a good night of sleep. So last night I'm in bed and it's the number one target I commit to in our heroic app. And we help Mm. people get clarity on what they do when they're at their best. And then we tell them, look, life isn't hard. Just do that more and more consistently. And don't do the things you don't do when you're at your best. You know, last night I'm in bed for nine hours and 15 minutes. I slept for eight hours and 23 minutes. Aura tells me I got a 94 sleep score. But I went to bed. I went to bed. at Dude, I averaged over the 90s for two years straight in my sleep. While raising money, while building a startup. Now, I went to bed last night at, at um, 7.50, you know, and wow. I'll go to bed at 6.50. When the time changes, I go to bed shortly after the sun sets. That's how we evolve. But what I've done is I've prioritized sleep because I know how good I feel when I get a good night of sleep. And I'm so committed to playing the long game. And again, yeah, yeah, I can I can work late at night, but I'm not going to do my absolute best work late at night, nor am I going to do my best work, even have a shot at it in the morning. I do my best work right after my meditation. I do the most important thing. I get clarity on what's important and then I do it. And frankly, if that was all I did and I took the rest of the day off, I'd get more done than the old me used to get done in a week mm-hmm. um, at a higher quality. So for me, I've I've gotten really clear that sleep, is my secret weapon and mm. the science supports it. I mean, there's unequivocal science on it. So to me, it's become a non-negotiable. It, it, you couldn't pay me to not get a good night of sleep. Now, Asterix, I traveled last week. I flew to Toronto and, and did some work there that that stretched my my protocols. But that's fine. I, I have a protocol to know when it's appropriate to flex it and I can operate on less sleep. But that isn't my sustainable you know, sweet spot. But the number one rule is make it a priority. And then you just schedule it out and say, well, how much sleep do you want? All right. Well, I had an efficiency last night of 91%, which is obviously good, you know. Um, But for me to get eight hours of sleep, I need to be in bed for nine hours. So I prioritize that. I go to bed at a certain time. My electronics were off in 90 minutes, two hours before I went to bed. And it's reflected in my deep sleep. Um, which will always be affected by how late I use my technology, how late I had my last meal, things like that. And to me, it's all one big game. And it's it's become so obvious to me how it helps me win the game I want to play that you couldn't pay me to compromise it. It's no longer a chore. It's a gift. Um, and again, I love what I do so much. And I, I work hard. I mean, I I worked from 5 a.m. till 6 p.m. basically with whatever breaks in between. So I'm not slacking, but it's a no, no, I'm done at this point to get a good night of sleep, to spend time with my kids. um, And so I can repeat it. um, And there's a joy to it that um, feels like a gift that I give to myself, not a chore that I have to do, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, just that segment alone. and Thank you for the gift that you're giving me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, what, uh, about dude. what about you being so shredded and, and, and everything? Um, what's your, you know, <laughs> energy ritual? You know, you? Uh, it's nutrition. 80% of physique in my mind is
1: nutrition. Um, with another, I mean, 80% on sleep. People don't get sleep. The other thing that happens when you don't get a good night of sleep is you're dysregulating your leptin and your insulin. Your leptin is your hunger hormone and ghrelin and all the other things. But basically, you're hungrier for stuff you know you shouldn't eat. Then I experienced this. What do I want? I crave the sugary stuff when I am tired. So sleeping is one of the most powerful ways to um, create a physique that you may be proud of or whatever, you know. And then uh, nutrition, again, we talked about it briefly, but but sugar, refined foods, um, fast-acting carbs. These are all triggering, triggering insulin. Sugar is a toxin in your bloodstream. We did not evolve to have concentrated sugar beyond fruit in season period. Mm. Full stop. I mean, longer chat, but insulin shuttling sugar out of your bloodstream. And what does it do? It stores it in fat. So if you want to reduce your fat, reduce your sugar intake, regulate your insulin. um, All very, very obvious things that I just do without thinking about it now. And then I train. So burpees are my thing. You know, burpees. I do. Bur- I love burpees. So one. Sometimes- <laughs> I've never heard anyone <laughs>
0: say I love burpees.
1: <laughs> Dude, and I love them. I love it because no one says I love burpees. Oh, everybody, gosh. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about falling in love with hard things that's a big part of my philosophy where you realize that's the only way to get what you want in life is to be willing to go out of your comfort zone into discomfort where your infinite potential exists. So I genuinely love burpees in general. I don't love them in any particular set per se, but I do hundred burpees a day and I do them 11 at a time. I don't do hundred burpees, I do 11 at a time, but I do 11 every 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes in the morning, a stopwatch goes off timer and I I bang out burpees. Um, And it also proves to me that anything you do that you break down into a small enough chunk is easy. So I've done, you know, 110 burpees a day. That's like 40,000 burpees a year, you know? And that's my training. I'll row a 1,000 meters. I get 10,000 steps and I do 10 pull-ups. One sun salutation, 10 pull-ups, 100 burpees, 1,000 meters of rowing and 10,000 steps. I've done that every day with a few exceptions for a decade. I just don't think of it. You know, and then it's fun for me to do as little as I can to feel the way I feel and to look the way that I look. And it's just it's again, it's a game for me. It's funny. You know, <laughs> all right, cool. I can bang all that out. Um, those are some of the things. So, again, the eating, the moving, of course, and then the sleeping, those three basic fundamentals. Or um, uh, what I practice that um, most importantly, just gives me a sense of sustainable energy
0: um but yeah amazing and you can you share with us your breathing protocol
1: yeah i appreciate you asking so breath is um i think and i know you know this one of the most underappreciated practices uh i used to have a ton of anxiety as a little kid just nervous about everything shy scared of everything etc as a young man the same thing and i had meditated for years um And I still felt some social anxiety and just just uh, unnatural, if you will, response to things, you know, that was just heightened um, even after meditating. And then it's interesting. I stopped eating grains. And my calmness factor went way up. It was Mm. weird. Uh, And we Mm. can talk about that separately. But then when I started training my breath and I follow a guy named Patrick McKeown. So Wim Hof is great, and there's a bunch of different great teachers. I'm a fan of Patrick McKeown. His whole thing is you're breathing too much. So you're Mm -hmm. breathing through your mouth, you're over-breathing, and in the process, you're dysregulating your carbon dioxide, which is actually the thing you need to focus on in order to get oxygen out of your red blood cells into your tissues and muscles. Um, So you need to breathe less to breathe right, he says. So exclusively through my nose, and I do this breath work um, every single morning since I met him, again, seven, eight, nine years ago now, and that has most fundamentally changed my um, just a sense of calm confidence and ability to kind of flip the switch. And again, all the great performers, Navy SEALs and uh, whatnot, talk about the power of breath, spiritual teachers, etc. And I have found it to be tied for first as the most transformative thing I've ever
0: done. Wow. Well, I have to look him up for sure, man. Uh, I know we're at time. Can you go a little longer or no? Let's go dude. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I gotta ask you this question about personal knowledge men, uh, personal knowledge management, because you are, I don't know any other guy who read as many books as you do as for most people it's hard enough to keep track of one book you have hundreds if not thousands of books. how do you you know manage either you also sort on a desktop and you manage it in some ways or you try to just internalize in your head and just keep using them until they're natural in your mind yeah i'm I'm so curious about how you yeah control that
1: let me um I'm gonna see if I can share my screen here so then
0: um uh, I would be in that position once if like, I let did- me give you my Go ahead. So oh, I think,
1: it. I think I'll be fine. Check it out. I've got this little thing here where it will show my, my, um, do you see oh, that? Oh man. I love it. <laughs> so I use Ecamm too. I noticed you were doing that before, but, but here's aura from last night. Right. Um, uh-huh. and then, so here's our app. So, you know, maybe, uh, shoot 25 years ago, um, not too long after you and I met, um, no, dude, we met after I sold E-Teams. I hadn't created yep. philosopher Notes though yet, right?
0: Nope, no, 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 of course. You were in the knowledge. beginning part. Yep, 2005, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2006 is when we met.
1: Yeah, I remember the first talk I gave, Goosebumps again, was on getting paid to do what you love to do. This was a Toastmaster talk I gave, something along those themes. So forever ago, I realized that I wanted to get paid to figure out how to live a great life and help others do the same to optimize their lives. And anyway, I realized that I wanted to get paid to read books because I love reading books and I wanted to distill them and share the wisdom with others. So I created something that you know about called Philosopher's Notes. And this is how I catalog everything. And frankly, I feel off when I read books. Like I read Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, Cover to Cover on Sunday, as we discussed. And I haven't distilled it yet into a Philosopher's Note. But this is my brain here, dude. I reread my own notes on books like The Daily Stoic, where I pull out those big ideas, and I just created a system where I do it, but I figured out how to get paid to do it, and then did it 650 times, you know? So I reread my own notes in the form of these um, philosopher's notes, but that's the way that uh, I've captured it. Um, But when I'm reading a book, I'm marking it up. I just, I own it. Twyla Tharp says she reads a book archaeologically, mm. not passively. She's mining for good ideas. So I'm underlining asterisks, marking it out. But then I pull it out. I type it all out. I capture it. I connect it to other ideas in a six-page summary. Um, and I've been blessed to do that as uh, professionally for 15, 16 years now.
0: So I'm going to push you back on just a little bit, Okay. So I appreciate that and I love it. You're living the dream. You had an idea 20 some years ago, you, you, you're you doing it. Awesome. So the question I have is about searchability of these ideas, you know, about, cause in your mind, there's a meta framework. Oh, this conversation reminded me of this quote, or this idea, this idea, this idea. How yep. do you, do you, do you, you know, have a filing system on your desktop somewhere? busy yeah, literally yeah, just I'm, in your mind. Keep on pushing. So
1: then, no, I'm telling you that that I I literally downloaded my brain and every single idea I ever learned from any book into my philosopher's notes. Now the pushback is, yeah, that's nice, Brian. You figured out how to get paid to read books, which is fair. Um, but the equivalent um, non-professional way to do it is, if you read a great book, capture it in a format that is searchable would be the answer to the question. And the reason I have a database my database in my brain. And my pattern recognition is now very high because I've done so many reps and taking it out, distilling it, um, summarizing it, et cetera. But literally, like, what's a book that it comes to mind um, or an idea that comes to mind? Because I'll search our app. I use my own app. That ah. you know, that's it. I mean, what do we do? Okay, like I mean.
0: On the same term, I don't know if you rate Ray Dalio's principles, you know, he's yeah. all about, you know, verifying results and Dude, look it up. Blah, blah, blah. Here we go.
1: So Dalio. So I've got 12 little micro classes plus ones in which I've talked about Ray Dalio. But I would not know this stuff as deeply as I do if I didn't go through the process of concretizing it. I have mm-hmm. literally typed out, I think, 5000 quotes from books. Um, I've done 650 notes. Each of them has five ideas in them, at least. I have personally typed out 3,000 long passages or, you know, reasonably long passages from books. That process has deepened my, my um, recollection. But here's my note on Ray Dalio's principles. It's brilliant. Now, again, it's only a fraction of what he covers in that insanely great book. But here you go. I know his exact, here's principle number one. I, I could never remember that. Oh, embrace reality, principle number one. Cool. I'm glad I captured that principle. Number two, he's got a five step process to get what you want. So anyway, I literally have this ready at hand um, and I use it that way. (laughs) Uh, That's my protocol. But I hung out with a woman the other day who uses Evernote. Same thing. And she literally used to take screen grabs of certain things. And, And there's so many cool tools we can use. We just need to trust ourselves to go back to that theme and then find our own idiosyncratic practices, but then do it and do it consistently and you'll build an archive. I mean, this didn't happen for me in a day or in a book or in two. It was 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 reps. And then we go back to the the burning desire I have to make a difference and to be my best self. And then I'll say no to all the nonsense. And, you know, structure my life around what I've said is most important and show up over and over and over again. And um, it's what I see in you. I I don't know your specific practices, but I know you practice and I know you're showing up. And it's what people feel from you and from us. And it's uh, everything we've been talking about. Soul force activated, um, which in itself is inspiring. And then we need to figure out what we do when we're at our best and do more of it. Um, And that's my own idiosyncratic expression. Um, You do these interviews. So that's your way, one of your ways to go deeper. I personally am curious about this. So I'm going to talk to that guy and we're going to go deep or gal, and then I'm going to share it. And it's your relationship with, for me, I said, I wanted to have a deal with God. He let me study this stuff to use in whatever pronoun, to the extent I shared whatever I was learning and that i've tried to be in integrity with that deal and um feel blessed to be here with you today talking about these ideas and and um all the other things
0: hey, amen uh so one of the things that differentiates for me anyway noble allies are kindred spirits who are on the same path you know i've been watching from afar all the things that you've been putting out and being impressed by it and admire it and respect you for it. And then uh, I, I'm so excited about your new book, Arite. You know, I think a lot of people can really benefit. Actually, you know what? I have one more question about that. So yeah. you have tens of thousands of people, you know, who love the artifact that you made, right? Your books, your summaries and your videos and so forth. What are some of the, the impact that you never expected that your words, your, you know, artifact has made on people? You're like, wow, I never thought, you know, spending a few hours reading this book, putting something together can really, you know, have this kind of ripple effect on people.
1: Yeah, it's a powerful question. I mean, what immediately comes to mind for me is um, people who have told me that they were going to end their own lives before they found my work. I mean, just mm. emotionally riveting. I can think of two individuals in particular who, actually shared their story in a video that i've watched dozens of times every single time i get emotional beautiful women couldn't figure out what they wanted to do with their lives for whatever set of reasons uh, were impacted by my work you know and attribute a big part of their process to finding a life of deep meaning and joy um through the work that's that's hands down the most powerful and then you know it's been it's been a real blessing to see the individuals like you and others who have been introduced to my work, or we connected forever ago, and who have been impacted at at really elite levels. So military officers commanding very important missions, and you know top executives, and just people I never would have guessed would be part of our community are. Um, and then just the the spectrum of humanity, and the fact that we all have the same need, you know. And to go back to your point about one of the chapters in the book that you're the hero we've been waiting for. And this, this common call that we all have to express the best version of ourselves in service to something bigger than ourselves. Um, but it's it's been a blessing to see the, the diversity of people who resonate. I mean, 11-year-old kids, I've gotten a lot of humbling testimonials for the book, but the most powerful one is a commanding military officer who his 11-year-old son picked up the book and couldn't put it down, stayed up late on a Saturday night to read the first 100 pages. And I, I told him, look, there's no more powerful testimonial than that, you know, like, oh wow, I'm proud of that. The, the, that I was able to connect with the next generation, you know, at a point I wish I was introduced to these ideas. Um, I'd say that, frankly, um, is uh what I'm most committed to is helping parents raise great kids, but helping the next generation go out and and, and get these ideas sooner, you know, not have to work through 40 years of. All the things that I had to work through, you know, figuring it out, but to to really raise literally the next generation of heroes that will um fundamentally change the world if we do our job. So beautiful question. That's uh those are some thoughts.
0: I gotta follow up with one more question. When you write, do you write to the younger Brian or do you write to the current Brian? Because you know it's you usually when content creators, they want to write to your avatar, right? You had no idea this 11 year old would connect to you. So how, when you write who, like, how do you, how do you write? You know what It's I mean?
1: interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally know what you mean. I, I've had a lot of different, um, not even avatars, but real people. So in my studio, when I'm filming, you know, I, I have this beautiful, um, Muslim couple who I just adore. Who have been affected by my work and who have affected me deeply. I'll, I'll have a picture of them at one of our events. Uh, you know, the woman I mentioned who nearly ended her own life, picture of her. Goosebumps, tears my eyes right there. Um, my right hand guy, Michael, is my most, gets me emotional, my most ardent student. I often have him in mind. Boom, mm. let me him up. My friends I mentioned to you, both of whom found me through my work, who are now heroic coaches. I'm thinking of them, elite performers. Boom. Um, but most of all, I'm just, I'm not thinking now. So Mm -hmm. now it's I've got enough reps in and I've done enough writing that um, I'm really trying to practice my philosophy and trusting myself and it feels alive for me, then let it go, let it rip and be me. And and even my book, you know, I had to make some decisions creatively of the type of book I wanted to create. And I broke most rules of publishing in -hmm. the style of book. You know, it's a thousand page book, Mm -hmm. It's, it's a gravitas and a weight to it, yet it reads like Stephen Pressfield's War of Art. Mm-hmm. No chapters longer than, there are a few that are like five pages, but there are one, two, three pages, really pithy, 451 little chapters. That required me to trust myself. I mean, conversations with my, our publishing partner and with myself and with the team. And um, I, that's it in my writing is I wanna come alive. I want to create something that that feels, you know, like it's uh, an expression of, of who I am. And 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 for this book, I asked our community, of all the ideas I've taught you, and, and and you've learned from, what has most changed your life? And and every single idea that they shared with me is in the book, mm. and it's one of the reasons why the book went long. Is I asked our team, hey, tell me which ideas have most changed your life? Some gave me three or five or ten. My right hand guy gave me like fifty, but none of them were the same. They were almost all different. So what I've learned is I can't predict which content is going to affect which person. And some of the stuff that I thought kind of sucked, frankly, but I had to ship cause I do daily content and it's kept me going forever. It's like something I almost didn't ship will be the thing that changes someone's life. Literally I'm like mm. really that. And so I've learned to trust the process, um, more than anything. And, um, again, that's a very long answer to another great question, but, uh, all of it you know i'm writing for all those people and um just trying to express myself in a way that um brings out the best in people in this moment um hoping that at least one of the ideas in anything i do from this conversation my intention is simple one i one person one idea Mm. then the pressure's off of me and not thinking about me i'm hoping one person gets one idea and hopefully every person who listens or watches our our time together gets one idea boom, mm-hmm. I've won. Um, those are some uh, many thoughts uh, at this point.
0: Brian, man, I can speak through you forever. So many questions. Love to reconnect in person one day. You know, the name of the podcast is Noble Warrior. And my intention here is to talk to masters who are doing the work and to share their wisdom and knowledge, their mastery, you know to help others to live a life of purpose joy and performance and again i just want to emphasize I, I so appreciate how you walk your own path you know with humility with authenticity with power and you're doing the work man and just mm. it's so cool to see just like you're not dreaming about it you're doing it you're helping people in in such a magnified way so like great fucking work. Amazing.
1: Oh, dude. I appreciate you. And uh as you're saying that, I I appreciate it. And I can feel the um earnestness of your kind words. And it's what I feel in you. Same thing. That that humble, powerful, um, authentic expression of your ideals. And it, it's really important for me to be here with you and to um you know, especially as men, you know, just embodying an integrated perspective. So I, I really appreciate you. I can't wait to meet in person or see one another in person again. And uh thank you. Great chat. Really, really an honor to be here and um look forward to connecting again.
0: So guys, if you haven't yet, yet, not yet inspired, go, go pre-order the book, go to hero.us.us forward slash book, hero.us forward slash book to pre-order the book. The book is coming out November 14th. This is Brian's blood, sweat, and tears and all the, all the, all the beautiful things summarizing in 1000 page book. (laughs) I've read two, one, two pages at a time. Let's go. (laughs) All right, Brian, we so appreciate you.